All right, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go ahead and grasp the context by going to the previous chapter, verse 22. Peter began, Since you have purified your souls or your minds and hearts in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, or unhypocritical brotherly love, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now to our text, next chapter, next verse. Therefore, laying aside all malice, can we say all? Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, which I'm sure he meant all hypocrisy, envy, I'm sure he meant all envy, and all evil speaking, laying aside these things, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now that verse is really coming alive to me once again now that I'm a new grandparent with the third one on the way. And when those little guys come in the world and they're hungry, they let you know it. So we're to desire the pure milk of the word like newborn babies desire their mama's milk. That's some strong desire, isn't it? If they're not happy, they're going to let you know about it. That you may grow thereby. We'll grow if we desire the Word like that. If you just kind of live the Christian life on automatic, on basis of what you know, and you're not growing in the Word, you're not reading the Word each day. I'm not talking about racing through the Bible and reading it. At neck break speed? No, read the scriptures until something speaks to you and then stop and think about that all day long. And you'll grow. You just will. Write it down. Write that verse down that speaks to you the most on a note card and carry it with you. You'll grow. May God give us a desire of a newborn babe for his mother's milk. May God give us that same desire for your word so that we can grow. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The basis of spiritual growth has to be on knowing God's grace. This book will tell you how to live, tell you how not to live, and a person can be really legalistic and not growing spiritually and know a whole lot about the Bible, but his foundation is not resting, not rightly dividing the word of truth, not resting the fact that they are more wicked than they realize, and God is more merciful than they could ever imagine. And the basis of his love for me becomes the foundation of growth. The basis of a parent's love for their child is a foundation for that child's nourishment and growth. It's the way it's supposed to be. So it is spiritually. Verse 4, coming to him. To who? The gracious Lord. Coming to him as to a living stone. 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. He is the living stone. He is that stone that Daniel prophesied, made without hands, that would roll throughout the earth until it, like a snowball, gets bigger and bigger until it becomes the earth. That's the promise we have of the kingdom of God's increase in the earth. How he does that, we do not know, but he is that living stone. He's the stone for a foundation. He's the chief cornerstone or the pattern stone by which we live. He is the stone that gave water. We have a church in town named after that fact, stone water. That rock in the wilderness that gave Israel water, that is Jesus. He is the living stone. We're to come to him knowing he's rejected by men, but he's chosen by God and precious. You also, you also, meaning that we too are chosen and we too are precious, we too will be rejected. Knowing you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Just as a rock house is made of stone being laid upon one another through the mortar of the stonemason, so Jesus is building his church with living stones, with the mortar of love, knitting us together, building his house in the earth. He is the great stonemason. He's popularly known as carpenter, based on what the New Testament calls him a carpenter. However, the Greek word for carpenter also means builder or stonemason. He worked as a carpenter or a builder or stonemason in Nazareth, where there's very few trees. Their building material was rocks. A few years ago, Yvette and I were blessed with a trip to Israel. And the most meaningful part of Israel for me was Nazareth of all places, uh, that God would leave the throne in glory and go and live in that place. Just a dusty, poor village without very many trees. But everything was made out of rocks. And they had there a replica of the synagogue that was there when Jesus was there. And it was made completely of rocks. Just a rock dome. Singing inside that place was pretty awesome. Voices really reverberated. That related to me on the fact that he is the builder of the church. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation stone. He is the stone out of which the water came in the wilderness. When they laid him in a manger, guess what mangers are made out of in the Holy Land? Picture a stone bathtub and you've got a manger. And there, when Jesus was born, that stone made without hands, that living stone came into the world. He was laid in a stone manger. Pretty awesome. And he being the living stone, we come to him hungry for his word, tasting his grace. And we too, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. I love the imagery of that. Termites can get into a wooden house and destroy it. Wooden houses can burn down, but no one can destroy God's house.
Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts today. Help us to receive the word at the level each of us needed. In Jesus' name, amen. You are the Lord's house. Can we say that together? We are being built up as living stones, a spiritual house, by the one who promised to build his church, Jesus, the builder and maker of the church, the redeemer of mankind, is building us up as the living stone. He's part of the house himself, even though he's also the builder, and he's the foundation. He's building us up into his spiritual house for spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through him. So we are that house. We're in a series declaring different things that we are as believers. We started out with, you are called into ministry. The last time I spoke, you are part of Christ's body. Today we're looking from the perspective of of us being the Lord's house. Myself as an individual, I cannot declare I am the house of God. But I am a representative of the house of God. I am a part of the house of God. My body is a house in which my spirit lives, and my body is a temple or house of the Lord. And so it's important to keep in mind that this word applies to us individually, but also to us corporately. God relates to us as persons and as a people. And so this word is for us as a house. That's an expression of the house, and it's important for us as believers. You are the Lord's house. We're going to look at three things. What is the Lord's house? Where is the Lord's house? And why does the Lord have a house? What is the house of God? Well, first of all, it was revealed as a place for meeting God. In the story of Jacob, he had a brother named Esau. There were twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, and their father Isaac had a covenant with God through his father, Abraham, to whom God had given many promises. And so here these two brothers are, grandsons of Abraham, Jacob and Esau. Esau, being the firstborn, has a birthright. He gets double the inheritance of his younger brother. He's the executor of the will, and the the father's authority becomes a patriarch of the family. And Jacob tricked him out of the birthright. And then sometime later, the father Isaac thought he was about to die, and so he's ready to give a special blessing to his sons, and he's going to give the blessing of the firstborn to Esau. And so Esau had already lost his birthright to his brother, tricking him out of it, trading him when he was hungry for a bowl of soup, and in his weakness, Esau gave him the birthright. And now Jacob tricks his father into giving him the elder brother blessing. And he receives them. When Esau realizes this, He wants to kill him. If the one with the blessing dies, then that blessing passes on to the one that's alive. So Jacob flees for his life, and that first night away from the home, he falls asleep out in the middle of nowhere at a place called Luz, takes a stone, turns it on its side for a pillow, and falls asleep. And while he's asleep, he has a vision of a ladder between heaven and earth and angels going up and down the ladder. And he wakes up and declares these words. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. 
This is the verse that Gateway Church uses for the basis of their name as a church. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, and set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. In verse 17, when he said this is none other than the house of God, he basically said this is none other than the Baeth of Elohim. And so you put those two together and you get the word Bethel, which means house of God. Often you'll see churches with Bethel in their name. It means house of God. It's a good name. And so here's a place being recognized as a house of God for the first time in the scriptures. And he named it that because that's where he met with God or had a revelation of God, angelic activity with this ladder. Here's an artist's rendition of what that dream could have been like. Secondly, the house of God then eventually became a building for meeting with the Lord. When the Israelites were delivered from slavery in the wilderness on their way to the promised land in Exodus, God began to give Moses a plan for what was called the tabernacle or a very fancy tent in which worship and ritualistic sacrifices would be performed for the purpose of sins being atoned for and them relating to God through this place. Now, this is no longer connected to a specific location because it was portable. They weren't in the promised land. So the house of God became identified with a building or a tabernacle. Years later, David desired, having conquered the city of Jerusalem, desired to build a more permanent house for God in Jerusalem called the temple. His son eventually did get it built. And from his writings come this verse, Psalm 122.1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Speaking of a specific building. Here's an artist's rendition of what that building may have looked like. A very majestic, wonderful structure. The house of God. Now, the house of God is a people being built for God's habitation. It's no longer limited to one place. And it's no longer limited to a building or buildings, but it's people. Jesus said it like this, Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. It doesn't take a building. It doesn't take one particular place. Just wherever you're at, if you meet with some people in the name of Jesus, it could be at work. That becomes the house of God or a place to meet with God. Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, said, I am where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there. You see that? Ephesians 2, Paul wrote it like this, that we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, then fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So this building isn't the house of God. Sometimes I hear parents, and I'm not thinking of a parent in particular, because I grew up hearing this, don't run in God's house. It's important that our children know we are the house of God. 
don't run and get hurt. It's important. So we are the building of God. We're the living stones being fitted together. This building is where part of God's house meets together regularly. And we are growing into the holy temple of God, our dwelling place of God in the spirit. This is happening all over the world. Every tribe and language is part of the house of God. And they are meeting together regularly, experiencing meeting with God. A couple of Sundays ago, Yvette and I experienced meeting with God with some Vietnamese believers in Houston. It was a meeting hosted by the Vietnamese Baptist Church of Houston, pastored by Dr. Con Hyun, who's one of the five pastors in Houston, being subpoenaed by the mayor of Houston to send her or send her lawyers his sermons. Does she speak Vietnamese? No. This is just an attempt to intimidate. Anyway, that's a whole other subject. If she wants his sermon, she can go online and get him for free. She doesn't have to pay a lawyer to subpoena somebody for their sermons. They're all there. If she's studying Vietnamese and wants to learn it, awesome. Here is a taste of what the dwelling place of God was like in the spirit while worshiping with some Vietnamese believers in Houston, Texas. Maybe you'll recognize the tune. We've covered what is the house of God. First, it was revealed as a place for meeting with God. And then it became a building for meeting with the Lord. And now it is a people meeting with the Lord all over the world in every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's a place for the habitation of God. Not visitation, but a place of living, a place of dwelling. Where is the house of God? God's house is everywhere. And his house is open to the humble. Jesus said it like this. He said, to come into my kingdom, you must be born again to see my kingdom. You must become as a little child to be part of my kingdom. Isaiah said it like this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Chapter 66. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? Now, if you stop there, you think he's wanting a house. Oh, he doesn't need a house. Solomon prayed, Lord, we built your house. Why do you need a house? You inhabit the universe. We hope that you're honored by this. Let's read on. For those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. So he's not needing A house, per se, like a physical house. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. 
God's throne is heaven and his footstool is the earth. And yet he notices or meets with the one who's poor and of a contrite spirit. Jesus said it like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. And here Isaiah said that God sees the one who's humble. So God sees the humble and the humble see God. That sounds like a meeting to me. You may say, well, Pastor, I really messed up. How could I ever have a hope of meeting with God? You're in a perfect position to humble yourself. Your pride's been smashed already. Just come into agreement with God and say, hey, forgive me, I humble myself. He'll meet with you right here even today. The house of God is where his judgment begins. We want to be thorough in our thing and not whitewash things. But here's, here's the truth you need to remember. 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So God's judgment begins in his house. Sometimes while we worship, or sometimes a result of hearing a word, a Lord will convict you of some, some error in your life. And as a result of that conviction of his presence, you'll make an adjustment. Many times in my own life, when our children were at home, I was a struggling dad trying to figure out how to be a good dad and raise good kids. Many times in worship, I'd have to go to my kids and ask for their forgiveness. Because the Lord convicted me. He judged me in his house. His judgment doesn't condemn us, but his judgment convicts us of a specific thing that we need to repent of and turn from. Humble ourselves for it. And so judgment begins at his house. This is where his judgment begins. Now what's going to happen to those out in the neighborhood outside of his house? Well, there's a judgment day coming. That's why we've got to invite people into his house as often as we can. Thirdly, the Lord's house is where there is biblical truth. There's a lot of churches in the world that don't have biblical truth. And by all means, am I not saying we're the only one in town? There's plenty here in town that have biblical truth. But listen to this. Paul wrote Timothy in his first letter to him, chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I write so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the Bible was written to houses or to churches. Timothy was a leader of a church, and these two letters were written to him, and we get to enjoy this wisdom that God inspired Paul to write to this young man. Romans was written to the houses of worship in Rome. Sometimes these houses were people's houses. Romans ends with Paul sending a greeting to Aquila and Priscilla, greet the church that is in their house. They had a church in their house in Rome. In 1 Corinthians, he sends a greeting from Rome to this church in Corinth and said, Aquila and Priscilla salute you in the Lord with the church that is in their house. In Colossians, he salutes the brothers who are in Laodicea and Memphis and the church that is in his house. So here's a church in Laodicea plus a brother in that church that has a church in his house. 
houses are tools of the Lord's house. If we are stewards of God's blessings, then my house isn't just my house. My house is a blessing from the Lord that he expects me to use for his glory. Maybe it means to take in somebody that needs encouragement or take in somebody that's homeless to help them get on their feet or to have somebody over and disciple them or minister to them. Paul told Philemon in verse 2 that he greeted Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that is in your house. Philemon had church in his house. So the Lord's house is wherever there is biblical truth, and a lot of the letters are written about this truth. A friend of mine, Richlon Merrill, he goes to Grace Bible Church. He has a company called Granbury Multimedia. He comes to the late Granbury Minister of Life. He's a good guy. He's having church at his house in a building on the backside of his, in his backyard for young men that need to be discipled some more, that need more in-depth teaching on the second and fourth Thursday of every year, of every month. Yeah, he just has it in January. What's at your house that you could use? What's God speaking to your heart? Are you open to even having thoughts like this? May the Lord stretch our thinking. Why is there a house of God? God's house is for assembling his believers together. Because when we assemble together, we are his house. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's what we do when we get together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. May the Lord help our conversations when we're together to go beyond a Super Bowl or World Series or politics. But to actually encourage one another in our walks with the Lord. He said not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is more than go to church every Sunday. This is more than y'all gather together and have dinner. No, this is assembling. This is something that works, something that bears fruit. I have an assembled watch in my hand. But if I was to take it apart and put it in one of these bags, I could tell you this is a watch. You'd have to take my word for it because you wouldn't know. It would be the parts of a watch assembled together. but You wouldn't know until it was assembled together would it even work and take time. I think sometimes the church of God is far below its fruitful potential because we're just having gatherings. We're not assembling for a mission, for a purpose of encouraging each other and advancing God's kingdom. The church is often referred to as the house of God or God's house. But some people think God physically lives there and they are right. The church is God's house, and that is why we should visit only on Sunday mornings and leave as soon as possible, so that we don't wear out our welcome as guests in God's home. All buildings on church property should sit empty for the rest of the week, so that God can relax, listen to music on the sound system, and take baths in the baptismal pool. Any Bible studies or meetings that take place in the church during the week are clearly inconveniences to God, who has to clean up in a hurry every time people show up at his house. So do God a favor and only go to Sunday morning services. These have been 
Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. His house exists to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Our text this morning included verse 5 of 1 Peter 2. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What are spiritual sacrifices? Well, we know it includes praise and worship. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore by him or by Jesus, let us continually, can we say continually? Offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Every time we get together, we need to do this. And this isn't just with music. And this isn't just a cappella. This is telling people something you're thankful for. That's giving God praise. What would you do if you wanted to have church and you got together and no musicians or singers were there? And you didn't have a tape recorder or a CD player. If it was me, I'd just go around the room and ask, what are you thankful for? Has anybody here been blessed any time in your life? And begin to share these things. And an awareness of God's presence would come in our midst because he's enthroned on the praises of his people. But it's more than that. A spiritual sacrifice is actually good deeds. Do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So it's good deeds and it's giving. God's pleased when we give. It's a spiritual sacrifice. One of the reasons why there's a house of God. A place or a way to give. A ministry, an assembly of people through which we give and with which we serve and with whom we worship. Back to our story in Genesis 28. After Jacob erected that stone and poured oil on it and named it Bethel, he went on and made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, in other words, so my brother doesn't kill me, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, listen to this commitment, I will surely give a tenth to you. This is the second instance that I know of of tithing in the Bible. And they're both before the law, which isn't given until Exodus. So he makes this commitment to give a tithe of God's blessing. All that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Why do we not pass the plate around here? Well, we do sometimes for something special, but it's always something outside the normal operations of this church. Why do we not? Because people in this house, not everybody yet, have made a commitment to give a tenth of the Lord's blessings to him. And they give to him through this house, through this assembly. And because of their commitment, we don't have to stand up here and beg for money every week. We're blessed. You're blessed to be around people that are committed to be tithers. So I couldn't leave this out of the story of God's house. 
It's the first instance of it, right? I want to challenge you to consider making this commitment. How could I ever keep such a commitment? There's so many places for money to go. The only way to do it is, first of all, to commit to give to God first. And when you got that going on, then commit to give a tenth. First, we got it out out there on our sign, Jesus first. Put him first. Before you pay the bills, prepare a gift for the Lord. And once you've got that commitment and you're living to it, and then make it the tithe. (laughs) Thirdly, why is there a house of God? God's house exists to bless those who are planted in it. Psalm 92 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Now, this is in the Old Testament, but this is a prophecy. It was impossible for them to really be planted because he lived scattered throughout Israel and they could only go to Jerusalem three times a year for the main festivals. How in the world could they be planted in the house of the Lord? I believe we can. Because the house of the Lord is a 24-7 dynamic, 365.25 days every year reality that we can be part of. You can have the house of the Lord on the telephone with somebody in the name of Jesus. Keeping in mind that it's all about Him. Amen? This is why when talking about the spiritual house... Peter said, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Because when we do that, we can be that kind of house where people flourish even into their old age. Why is there a house of God in the earth? Why aren't we already in heaven? Why aren't we left at the bottom of the baptistry when we commit to the Lord in water baptism? God's house has been built for those not yet in it. Tilt, kind of counter to our thinking. You you have a house built, you build it for your family, right? But God's house is built for people that aren't in his family yet. We assemble together for people that are here, but also for people that are not here. That's why we're still here. What's the one thing you cannot do in heaven, but you can do on earth? Evangelism. Reaching out. Finding hurting people. There's no hurting people there. Micah prophesied, chapter 4, The Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. This is happening today. Today they are worshiping in Vietnam. Today they are worshiping in the Philippines. Today they are worshiping in India. Today they are approaching the mountain of the Lord through agencies of his house all over the world. And tomorrow there will be people reaching out of the house, bringing people in to the kingdom. The house exists for people that aren't in it. You are the Lord's house. Let's pray. Lord, help this word to bear fruit in my life. 
and fruit in the lives of every person here. I pray, Lord, where any of us is not walking in the fullness of being a member of your household, I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to allow you to stretch us to do more than come Sunday morning, to do more than sit and soak, but, Lord, to walk in fellowship with you and one another. I pray, Lord, for every person here that this word would edify and exhort and comfort. In Jesus' name. One of the things we do when we come to his house, and I'm not calling this building his house, but this assembly is his house. It's one of the expressions of his house in Granbury, Texas. One of the things we do when we come to his house is we pray. At this time, I'd like to ask us to stand. Pastor Shake is going to lead us in a song. As we're singing, I'm going to ask the church team to come on and join me across the front. And we'll be here to pray with anyone about anything. This is one of the benefits of the Lord's house. We receive prayer when we need it. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you haven't been following the Lord as closely as you know He's calling you to.